It's the JT The Brick Show. They get the snap off. Hand off Jacobs. Has the first down of the goal. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Raiders. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz. He is smothered and brought down. Max Crosby came around for the sack. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Snap to car in the shotgun. Back to pass. Climbs the pocket. Eyes downfield. Fires a strike to Devontae at the 25. Breaks away 20. 15, 10, 5. Dives. Touchdown, Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT, thanks for joining us today in studio on what could be a rainy day. Looks like some blue skies. As I just returned from Raiders headquarters, we recorded the great podcast that I'm proud to be about. Raiders Roundtable, along with Q Myers and Lincoln Kennedy. You'll hear that on Friday. like to play that on Friday because I think the content is fantastic and Lincoln Kennedy shines, obviously, along with Q. And I set those guys up, and we had a good one today. Recapping the loss to Kansas City and kind of a peek ahead of what we're going to be doing from the Super Bowl as we'll take Raiders Roundtable to the Super Bowl in Glendale and Phoenix, Arizona for a couple of shows We just found out about that today. So some really cool Super Bowl coverage coming up. And we'll tell you that in a couple of weeks. I mean, we got a few weeks. We got the divisional playoffs coming before that super wild card weekend. And hopefully we can hear from you on some of these other games. Welcome in. Welcome in today. I'm excited to be here. There's a lot to get to. Got a lot of Raiders content. We have some good conversations coming up here. And we'd still like to hear from you. We did a show yesterday. The phones were lukewarm. I think there are a lot of Raider fans who checked out. I think the mentality, they're tired, they're worn out, they're passionate, but they weren't that passionate yesterday. I get it. I get it. I can't do that. I got to keep my energy very high every day, which I like to do. So if today's a better day for you, if you'd like to look back on the season that was, start to look ahead when we have more to talk about and get into what will be what I believe potentially one of the most exciting off-seasons in modern Raider, Raider history. It better be. It better be. I hope it is. Bobby's shaking his head. This needs to be an elite off-season for the number one reason you might not know of. The number one reason why this off-season and this upcoming year is big as the Super Bowls here. I don't expect the Raiders to be in the Super Bowl. Their season win total last season was eight and a half. They won six games. So, again, you got to put me in a straitjacket. And, and drag me out of here if you think I'm talking Raiders Super Bowl next year. But, but there is one man on God's green earth that can get us to believe in a Super Bowl because he won seven of them. Seven of them. So that that is looming. That's fun. That's fun radio. But Tom Brady's got a game to play against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, if I'm a Raider fan, which I am, and you're a you're diehard Raider nation, I'd be rooting heavy for the Cowboys. Let me get that out of the way as we're brought to you by PTs. Raider fans should be rooting for the Cowboys to eliminate Brady because then Brady can pack his bags and literally get out of there after the game and never go back there again. And that would start to train. Uh, Brady doesn't want to go out that way. Do you think that Brady wants to end his career to Jerry Jones and Dak Prescott at home? You don't think that's going to drive him coming off the divorce? He just got divorced. Just a matter of time until that ex-beautiful wife has someone on her arm and Brady's going to be like, hey, man, I'm in Vegas. Look at me in Vegas. So the Brady thing is fun. That's just fun stuff. I don't know if Brady's coming here, but it's fun. It's going to be good, good fun content. 
Jared Stidham could be the quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo could be someone we don't know about. Could be Lamar Jackson. If he doesn't play this week, Lamar Jackson doesn't play. It's another thing you should be hoping for. Hope, hope Lamar Jackson loses because the price on him, if he doesn't play, goes down, down, down. Okay, and you can make that number work. And he's a hell of a player, man. He is unbelievable. He is like elite, super elite MVP. That's a name. And whatever's going to happen to Derek Carr, we don't know yet. And the Derek Carr discussion has not been put to bed yet. Anything could happen. Sometimes in Vegas, anything could happen, and it usually does. So we have that to talk about. I want to begin the show because a former friend of mine who passed away early unexpectedly was Craig Long in media relations for the Raiders. I'll get the exact date, but it was a long time ago. And he was a great man and a good friend. We hung out a lot on the road. Josh Jacobs won the Craig Long Award. We talked about that on Raiders Roundtable. It is a tremendous honor. Craig worked the locker room. He worked the media. We have the great Will Kiss now who does that for years for the Raiders. He's exceptional. To win the Craig Long Award is a big deal. Max has won the Commitment to Excellence Award again. That's a big deal. I've, uh, I emceed that banquet 18 years in a row. They don't do it here for whatever reason just yet, but Max got that nod. Maybe we do something and do a banquet for him. So with all of that, there were some pretty good character awards that went through. Craig Long Award from the media goes to Josh Jacobs, and Max wins the Commitment to Excellence Award. Those are cool things I wanted to open up the show with. Uh, looking back on the Kansas City loss, they're, lo- they're calling it the Snow globe play where they did the ring around the rosy like the snow globe shaking and then they ran a play against the Raiders and that's really triggering some Raider fans Raider fans are really upset about that I had one Raider fan who told me if they ran that against the Raiders in the 70s and 80s there would have been an outright brawl there would have been a Matt Millen Howie Long brawl and the decade before Otis Sistrunk and John McTuzak would have went to the other sideline and tried to take someone's helmet off we're a softer society now. That doesn't happen. We, that, that doesn't happen in the sport because there's too many fines. But Raider fans take that play to the offseason as motivation for the silver and black with Kansas City. Josh McDaniel spoke yesterday. We'll have a little bit of that. Howard Balzer is going to join us from Arizona. And what happened yesterday in Arizona was big. They fired the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Steve Kime, the GM, stepped down, which is a big deal. And they're going in a different direction. So I want to talk about that. Miles Simmons is going to join us from the bottom of the hour from Pro Football Talk. So we'll talk to him coming up here. And Jeff Sherman is going to talk about these lines. If you're betting, these are really unique lines. Wow. The, the gambling lines for this game, there's a lot of rematch games. Vikings just played the Giants. Jaguars humiliated the Chargers earlier this year. Dallas and, and Tampa Bay played opening the opening game of the year. So if you look at all these There's a lot of repeat games and unique games here that we want to get into the lines as we get going. But yesterday was the aftermath. We'd like to extend it again today because I do radio year-round, and Raider fans need to talk today about how you feel after that last game. Someday I'm going to come into this studio. It's good news for everybody. One day I'm going to come in here. All nine lines are going to be full. I'm going to go into Natalie's office, and I'm going to resign and retire and say, I've, I've accomplished my goal. Every phone line was full before I started the show. I want to leave like J.J. Watt. I want to leave on a day like today, retire from radio. Until then, I'll remind you that I'm open for business, and I want to hear from Raider fans. 
because I'm not doing a lot of Raiders radio after this. I'm going right into the playoffs, right into the Super Bowl, and I'm talking about the Cowboys, and I'm talking about Brady, and I'm talking about Brock Purdy. Yeah, I got to do a talk show. Okay, we're going to do that, and when there's Raiders breaking news, Bobby's going to pat me on the shoulder and say, go, 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 man, the Raiders did this today, and we'll have it covered for you with the best insiders in the business. So last night was the national championship game. Woo, what a what a stinker that was. What was that? Georgia humiliated TCU. Now, this is an important topic for Vegas because our football team, UNLV, has been humiliated for decades. We can't compete with Utah State. We can't beat Fresno State. Now, I haven't been to Fresno in a long time, but I don't think Resorts World is in Fresno, right? They don't have the Bellagio in Logan, Utah, correct? I haven't noticed Mandalay Bay somewhere in the Pacific Northwest or in another small enclave where no one lives. All of that is here. And UNLV can't compete with TCU. I mean, TCU is a good school. They got some money there. But UNLV can't compete with TCU, really? Well, last night they could have. <laughs> last night, you I, I promise you, UNLV football with Marcus Arroyo or our new coach, Odom here, would have put up a better fight than TCU. I mean, really, they would have been able to call timeouts, slowed the game down, maybe get a first. TCU was awful. And it proves again that we haven't figured out this college football thing at all. We don't know what the hell's going on. This Name, image, and likeness, money. Hey, you want an envelope? Oh, you want to work at a car wash but not show up? Oh, I have name, image, and likeness. I'll give you a wink, wink, Buffalo Wild Wings deal, but I'll give you a little bit more. Oh, it's crazy, man. Oh, it's crazy. And Georgia is the richest along with Alabama of everybody. They're like, every player wants to play. So last night what you saw was the difference between five-star football players and two-star. And that's really the difference. UNLV has no five stars. It's hard for them to get one or two stars. And that's what has to happen in this town. But what was going on? Stenson Bennett last night came out of the gate. This quarterback's 25 years old, everybody. He's older than Justin Herbert. I have the list of guys he's older than, Lamar Jackson. This guy was a man among boys last night. Dejon Edwards in the backfield. Play fake. Stet sets up to throw. Pressure coming on. Wide open. McConkey reaches up high. Touchdown. Touchdown, McConkey. Nobody near him. Boy, just an out and up there by McConkey, and not a horn frog in sight. How is that possible that TCU beat Michigan and they had guys who wouldn't even know how to play last night? How did that happen? Well, it was the men among boys. And I was on the air live when this was going on, and I thought I gave the best analogy. This is when both my sons went to Bishop Gorman. My oldest son played on one of their state championship teams as a backup. And not a five-star at all, just a backup. Got in a little bit here and there. Very proud of him to play for that program. And this would have been like being at a Bishop Gorman game where it was 70 to nothing at the half, and they have what's called a running clock. They just run the clock, and they do it. And I, I was furious. I walked out of a Bishop Gorman game once after my son went on to Oklahoma because I couldn't handle the fact they didn't get the subs in quick enough. And I was saying on the air last night, come on, Kirby, get the subs in. Like, get everybody into this game. No, 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 no. First half, they wanted to make a statement, and then Bennett in the second half came out, and he was just slinging it again. Bennett takes the snap in the shotgun, throws for the corner. Brock Bowers one-on-one. Caught! Touchdown! 
Touchdown! He ate him alive. Falls down into the end zone. Six more for Georgia. Well, they could do whatever they wanted in that game. Whatever they wanted in that game, they were able to do. And then finally, at the end of this game, when the subs were in the game, and everybody was just going to get a touch there because their mom and dad were in the crowd and they wanted to show off for mom and dad, TCU was humiliated as Georgia just kept running plays. Oscar Delp, the tight end, out at a wideout on this near side. will run it with Robinson, who scored a few moments ago. Shakes and bakes at the 20, at the 15, at the 10, to the 5. Pylon touchdown, left corner. Uh, Georgia just kept doing it. And TCU, it was really concerning. I think it's a good topic for the monologue here. It's a really important topic because it dates back to high school football. I gave you the Gorman example or Liberty on the other side of town. When do you stop humiliating another team? It's a really good topic for the dads and moms out there that are listening to us over lunchtime. We've all experienced it. You might have experienced it on the wrong end where your son or daughter were getting humiliated in a youth basketball game and they didn't, they didn't call the dogs off. And you're in the crowd, you're in the bleachers, and you're going, I'm coming down. I'm coming out of those bleachers. This is embarrassing. Well, last night, this game had a little bit of that towards it. Sonny Dykes, the head coach at TCU, was just standing there, aghast on the sideline. His players checked out. His players were humiliated. They were getting thrown around like rag dolls, and they couldn't stop it. And Georgia put the subs in, and the subs were doing it too. So this is probably the most embarrassing final call score We'll ever see going forward with now a 12-team playoff coming in the future. Here's how it ended at SoFi. Dogs aren't waiting for that clock to get to zero. They've hit the field celebrating here at SoFi Stadium. TCU begrudgingly walks to the middle of the field. Georgia on the logo celebrating back-to-back Nats. Perfection wears red and black tonight. 15-0. The dogs have done it and won a second consecutive national title. And you can't be any more impressive than the way they did it tonight. 65-7. to A Georgia radio on the call. So I think this is a really good topic. And I, I hope you do too and you'd like to participate on Twitter at JT the Brick or on the phone, 702-365-9200. Did you have any sympathy last night for that TCU team? Let that sink in if you watch it at a sports book. Now, the degenerate gambler can't answer this question. The gambler can, but we have a lot of degenerate gamblers that just want to win. They don't even root for their teams. They, they bet against their teams. That's a degenerate gambler at times who cannot be involved in this conversation. They'll bet on a cockroach race, so they'll bet on anything. I'm talking about the sophisticated gambler or everybody else. And then the common fan. I talked to my son last night. My youngest son went back to college yesterday. My oldest and I were watching as I was in between commercials doing the show from home last night. I said, what do you think of this? And my son, who played football, said, you got to stop them. You got grown-ass players on that other sideline that are never going to play again. Remember, they're never going to play again. They're going to never play in the NFL. They have to get on the field for their coach and stop these guys, and they couldn't do it. So it reminded me of Bishop Gorman or Liberty or the other schools in town that humiliate their opponent, humiliate them, and it's technically not their fault. The players are so good at Gorman and so good at Liberty. If they're playing a local team from a small school here and they bleep and put them on the schedule, which they're finally going to change, if they just run their second-team offensive line and third-string running back, they're going to have 60-yard touchdown after 60-yard touchdown. It just takes one hole, one block, and then the guy's going to run to the end zone. 
So how do you feel as a parent or a sports fan when you watch a team get humiliated and they can't do anything about it? And maybe share a story with me with youth soccer. When you're in a youth soccer game and it's 11 nothing, right? You got the juice boxes there and a couple dads with the red solo cups hiding behind the goal, having a beverage. What do you do when it's 8 nothing before halftime and your kid's getting embarrassed? What do you expect from the other coach on the sideline? I've never changed on this. My dad was a legendary Little League coach back in the day, coached everybody in town, high-integrity guy. He just, he'd just stop. He'd stop, literally stop the game and make sure that no stolen bases, no rubbing in. And what my dad did, which was great, I remember as a kid, my dad had everybody be quiet in the dugout. There's no laughing and, hey, making fun of it. He knew that when we were 9, 10, 11 years old, if that was happening to us or the other team was winning. And last night, it felt like Little League to me. It really looked like Pop Warner where a team was getting humiliated and there was nothing we could do. I could feel it in Chris Valor and Kirk Curbstreet's voice on the game that they were just sitting there going, oh, my God, run the clock, run the ball up the middle, take a knee in the third quarter, and they couldn't do anything about it. Uh, Kirby Smart, after the game, talked about their depth. They have so many players that they developed that they could go back-to-back. Whatever it was, 15 draft picks and however many portals, you guys have reported it over and over, and we didn't gain anybody. So the development part was super, super important. Well, that's a really good point. They didn't bring a lot of people in from other teams. They didn't need to. They don't have to bring – you know, they tried to go after Peter Burns. We might play that conversation later in the show. Uh, he, I had him on last night. He's a college football insider, and he basically said it. Because their lineup next year is better than this year. And last year they had five first-round picks on defense. So whatever they're doing, they don't need players in the portal. UNLV is begging for players in the portal. Georgia's turning them away. You know, Georgia went after Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy winner, because they didn't even know if Stenson Bennett was the guy to go back-to-back. And he played great. He's an MVP again. And Smart talked about his quarterback, Bennett, who wanted to repeat, and now he goes down in history, maybe with Herschel Walker, as the greatest player ever to play for Georgia. And I'm going to tell you another important day was about three days from right now, last year, when he came in my office and he said, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to come back or ride off in the wind. He goes, I don't understand. Everybody's telling me that I should just ride off in the sunset and be the legendary quarterback that won a national title. He said, that's just not who I am. Yeah, that's a great. They're going to make a movie about him. Reportedly, there's one in development. They're going to make a movie about that kid. Now, he's 25 years old. Mm, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm sorry. I'm not a big fan of 25-year-old quarterbacks, but legally red shirting, whatever he was able to do, he was able to do it there, and he was a man among boys. I'd like to know if you think he can play in the NFL. He's much better than Drew Brees was at Purdue. Much better. Much better than a lot of, much better than Tom Brady was at Michigan. Not even close. But no one thinks he can play in the NFL. Why? He can be a backup quarterback. Can he come off the bench the way he played? Went back-to-back national championships. Tim Tebow had flaws in his game. His hitch, his arm angle, he had flaws. And he's on the Mount Rushmore of college quarterbacks, not all-time pro quarterbacks, but college. Why can't this kid Stetson Bennett come to the NFL, get drafted in the fifth or sixth round, and have a chance to play? I think it's a really important topic. More on Bennett from his coach, Kirby Smart. He brought it up to me, and he said, I want to play. Like, I want to go play football and prove to people that this is no fluke. We can do this. And he did everything he said he was going to do. All right, so Georgia won. So there's two big topics today for everybody because – we're, our show streaming everywhere around the country. So this works in Florida, 
New Jersey, Idaho, Vegas. Hey, what do you do when your team's getting blown out? Coaches, anybody out there can hear me? Phones work. What do you do? What do you do when your team's getting humiliated? How do you stop the humiliation? What do you tell your kids? What do you look at your kids and tell them in a JV basketball team when they're down 60, 60 points in the third quarter? How do you grow as a man or a female, uh, a woman, and sit to your team and go, hey, this isn't going to end. We got to figure this out. We're getting humiliated on any level because that's what happened last night. And then, secondly, where would you put this Georgia team all time in the history of college football? You know, a good fun topic last night was if Miami, Jimmy Johnson's Hurricanes, who wore the fatigues and had some really Michael Irvin, Warren Sapp, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis. If you went back in the hot tub time machine and took a Miami team, their best one, or Nebraska's team with Tommy Frazier dominant, and put them up against this Georgia team, who'd win? What about Joe Burrow's perfect LSU team? I don't know the answer to that. I'm more of an NFL guy than a college guy. But I think this Georgia team proved that they could stand the test of time with any team that has ever taken the field. Tim Brown and Lou Holtz, you can go back, and you can't go back to the 40s and 50s. can't go back to the Four Horsemen. can't go back to that. But in the modern era, from the 80s on, could anybody hang with this Georgia team? 702-365-9200. All right, second topic as we open up the show today is who do you want to lose more? Kansas City of the Chargers. Ooh, that's a good one. You said KC, Bobby? Okay, get on the microphone for a second. I don't know if... See, that's very interesting because that's why I wanted to bring this up. You say Kansas City because you mm-hmm. think they're more of a Super Bowl threat than the Chargers, correct? Oh, yeah. Okay. But what happens Char- to- Chargers are probably not even going to win their wild card game. Oh, you don't, you don't think the Chargers yeah. can win their favorite on the road in Jacksonville? You don't I think don't they can think win? I so. I got a funny feeling about, I got a feeling okay. about Jacksonville. So you like Jacksonville. Okay. I bring this up to Raider Nation because Raider Nation, you want to put salt in the wounds of this six-win team? We got to talk about the Chargers two, three weeks from now. I don't know if I can handle it. I, I, can, I know how to handle Kansas City going to the AFC Championship game. I have their foil. I have the team that will beat them, Buffalo. I have that team right here. If the Chargers get a little giddy-up going, woo, I don't know if I can, I can handle that. Chargers with Boy Blunder, Brandon Staley, their coach. Goes for it on every fourth down, plays players when they don't have to in meaningless games. So I am a big Jacksonville fan this weekend, and actually I am because my in-laws live down there, my sister-in-law, they're all going to the game. They're Jags fans. I'm going to be rooting for Jacksonville because I can't handle the Chargers kind of sneaking through this thing. And if the Chargers are able to sneak through this thing here, we got a problem on our hand. We got a big problem on our hand. Kansas City... We got two things that can beat Kansas City. They could lose in the Super Bowl, or they could lose to the Bills, the team I picked to beat them. I don't got an answer for the Chargers. The Chargers beat Jacksonville, and they beat them, and they look good. And they go into the next round. Then the Chargers got momentum in the AFC West, and, man, I got to worry about them in the offseason. I'm already worried about Kansas City. I know Denver's going to get better with Russell Wilson, not going to play like that again. I want the Chargers out. I want Jacksonville to bury them, take away their will. Now, if they do that, I think they'll fire the coach, Brandon Staley. He'll have he'll be fired because he played Mike Williams last week and they didn't win the game. But if he wins the game, he's off the hook. I might even have to take away the boy blunder name. How could I do that on Raiders Radio when this guy's winning playoff games? 
So I need the Chargers not to win a playoff game. I need the Chargers to do what the Raiders did last year. Raiders went to the playoffs, didn't win a game. I need the Chargers to do that. So I don't think Kansas City, Kansas City not playing. They have a bye week. If the Chargers lose, we're okay with that. 702-365-9200. We have one person who wants to call in today, which is a better start than yesterday. Brad's in Vegas on 920. Hello, Brad. How you doing? I'm doing enjoyed, great. Thank you. Very good. Enjoy listening to the program. Thank you. Yeah, I was calling in about the youth sports, and uh, I got to say, I do appreciate what your dad did as far as, uh, you know, easing off on the opposing teams a little bit. When it comes to, uh, my opinion, when he, when it comes to youth sports, and I'll include high school sports in that, um, I do think it's a responsibility of the opposing coaches winning by so much to kind of ease off a little bit and allow a little bit of success for the opposing team. Now, I'm not saying allow the opposing team to come back and, and make it a ball game. I'm not saying that. But, for example, in basketball, let's lay off the press a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's not trap. Uh, let's allow the other team possibly to go through an offensive set and maybe take a shot. You know, when it comes down to blowing teams out by 50 and 60 points, I do think it's the integrity of the imposing coach to kind of back off. You're yes. going to you're going to win the game, but what is what is the goal? Is the goal to win the game, or is the goal to humiliate the opposing team? And I think mm-hmm. it comes down to integrity. So I really enjoy listening to what your dad did, you know, in the youth soccer. You know, I'm a former coach at Liberty. You mentioned Liberty yeah. in your pro- you mentioned Liberty on your program, and I can tell you this. Our head coach, Rich Morocco, does a superb job. Mm-hmm. If we were beating a team or we know going into a game that we, you know, we're going to probably win with ease, he does a good job of developing, and this is why he's going to be good year in and year out. He does a great job in developing the younger kids in playing in, the, in that contest. Mm-hmm. So if you really examine the scores of Liberty, now I'm not – saying Gorman because Gorman's a different deal they have blown out teams I think the the opposing scores was like 747 to mm-hmm. 7 this year yeah. so I'm not talking Gorman I'm talking Liberty and what Rich does but we do develop yeah I know you do appreciate the call my friend I gotta go I'm at the bottom of the hour here no that's a really important topic for me because again I'm not a Gorman homer my kids went there I, I was incensed incensed at times with some of the score and what they were doing. But to Gorman's defense on that, they weren't throwing it. They were handing it off to third stringers and they couldn't be stopped. And they shouldn't be playing in the league. They shouldn't be playing in some of the games like they have in the past. They should only be playing elite national games and the best of the best teams in the state here. And I think we're getting closer to that. You know, when it comes to last night, I thought Kirby could have got some of the starters off out of the game earlier. And then all you do is you don't throw it. You just hand it off up the middle, and then you punt because the other team's not going to come back. So, But you can do that, but they were still throwing it with the backup quarterback because they felt like they're on the biggest stage in the world. They want to keep playing football. It's a very important topic. But on the youth side of it, man, I wasn't a very good youth sports dad. If I could go back and get a do-over again, i tell my great friends about this. I would. One thing, I think I'm a really good dad and what I've done with my boys, I'm very proud of. But I was not a great youth sports dad. I was very 
intense, not as a coach, but a parent watching some of the stupidity I saw in this town and where my kids grew up in Sherman Oaks because, as I've always said, the next title of my book, some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life and some of the worst were in youth sports. And if you don't go in there, if I could do it all over again, I'd have a bag of sunflower seeds. I'd be sitting down the right field line by myself with a podcast in my ear and just let them play. Just watch. But I can't get that time back, Bobby. You're right. We work on stuff throughout the entire season, and then it's try to call it in the right moments. Um, and Coach Reed gives gives us some freedom to do some of our own flair to it. And so that uh, that circle one was one that we had kind of we had ran some plays like it, and, and we talked about it on the side, and we were like, hey, let's let's we'll, we'll see if we do this, get some confusion going, to throw something back. That's interesting. That's Patrick Mahomes on that snow globe play, that circle play, whatever you want to call it. JT, back with you. Brought to you by our good friends. Over at Grimaldi's, best pizza I've ever had. Miles Simmons is going to join us. Also, a couple other guests we're working on. Howard Balzer will join us. He's on top of that big, big story coming out of Arizona on the firing of the coach and the GM stepping down. John in Salt Lake City. John, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hey, thanks, JT, for taking my call. You know, I know a lot of Raider Nation is against Tom Brady coming here. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you have to look at it this way. Think about Tom Brady the iconic Raider brand, the Super Bowl in Vegas. Can you imagine the magnitude of that happening? And, I mean, we've only got a two-year window with Devontae Adams and these guys. Mm-hmm. I hope Mark Davis is all in on this because just imagine that would be the most expensive Super Bowl ticket in the history of the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. I hope Mark Davis and Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels are all in on this next year because this is going to be almost a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I hope they take advantage of it, JT. I really do. So thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling in. I appreciate that as we continue on. And uh, that's, that's interesting. Look, Tom Brady can play anywhere he ever wants for the rest of his life. He could have played for other teams along the way. It, it, if he's available, of course they're going to look at it. Money is not an issue. Brady's not a $50 million a year guy. Aaron Rodgers is. Mahomes is. Deshaun Watson is. How would you like to have that albatross on your head there now? So for Brady, it won't come down to money. It'll come down to the vision of what the organization wants to do in developing a young quarterback or not. Miles Simmons, kind enough to join us from Pro Football Talk. Miles, let's jump in. Where could Brady, let's assume Brady loses to the Cowboys. Where are you leaning towards the broadcast booth, Tampa Bay, the rumors of Las Vegas? What makes sense to you on the future of Tom Brady? I don't think Tom Brady wants to stop playing. I mean, it's funny because last year when he uh, had the whole 40-day retirement thing, I mean, there were times when he was talking about, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm watching football and I'm thinking, man, I can still go do that. But Tom Brady just set the completions record in the National Football League for a single season. There's no evidence that says he can't play. Right? Is Tom Brady the same guy that he was you know, 10 years ago? No. But I would still put him as a top 15 quarterback, and especially if you put him 
in a system that he knows like the back of his hand, like that of Josh McDaniels, it certainly makes sense to me that he could go to a place and be the quarterback there and do what he wants and, and try to win a championship. It just, I don't think that Brady is ready to get into that broadcasting booth at Fox. And I think that the struggle that this year was in Tampa Bay, where it seemed like every game was pulling teeth until, oh, by the way, Tom Brady can pull the rabbit out of his hat in the fourth quarter. I don't know that he really wants to go through that again. So I, I feel like being with Josh McDaniels, and a system that he knows and a coach that he feels obviously very, very comfortable with would make a lot of sense if he wants to continue playing football. What are you sensing through your sources in Dallas if Dallas doesn't beat Tom Brady at 45, they can't win and they don't win a playoff game after their expectations going into this year? Do you think McCarthy would be back? I think that if Jerry Jones can get Sean Payton, he would probably get Sean Payton. I mean, there is a lot of evidence that Sean Payton has been on Jerry Jones' radar for years and years and years. And frankly, he tried to trade for him before. So I think that that is definitely an option. And, you know, the Dallas Cowboys have been really up and down this season. It looked like they didn't really want to play last week against the Washington Commanders. Like, they knew that because the Giants were playing their JV squad, the the Eagles were going to be able to win that game and keep the Cowboys locked in at the five-seat So we'll see. I mean, it's not like the Cowboys are a bad team, but I I do think that this is going to be a critical game for them. Miles Simmons is our guest, Pro Football Talk, great NFL insider. So the Chargers have a lot at stake because Brandon Staley kept Mike Williams in the game, Derwin James in, Herbert, who had rib problems earlier in the year. I thought that was very bizarre. Plus, they got blown out by Jacksonville earlier this year. What's at stake? I think Jacksonville's playing with house money. They get a home playoff game. They had a playoff game last week in a must-win situation. They're not going to the Super Bowl. But the Chargers could go deep into the playoffs if they get healthy and they start clicking. What's at stake for the head coach of Los Angeles? Well, I think that there should be a lot at stake because, frankly, I agree with you, JT. Those coaching decisions last week were pretty bizarre. I mean, you know that you're the five seed. You know, you know you're at altitude. You know that you have to go home and then go play in Jacksonville. But at a certain point, why is it that you're leaving your quarterback exposed to risk until, you know, early in the fourth quarter. And then why is it that Keenan Allen, when one of your top receivers is already hurt, why is Keenan Allen catching a touchdown pass from Jace Daniel with about six minutes left in the fourth quarter of a game where you're losing to Jerry Rosberg's Broncos? I don't understand any of that. And I I get that, you know, Brandon Staley said there's only 48 players and you can play and these are hard decisions and that, that, that. But that's your job as the head coach. And I thought that there was some coaching malpractice going on there for the Chargers last week. So I think that, yeah, there is something at stake here because the Chargers are a team that we all thought would be probably a little bit better than they've ended up being. Now, they've been good down the stretch. Mm -hmm. And Staley can certainly coach defense. But I think that some of the game management and some of the player management stuff wouldn't make me question what his future can be if I am running the Chargers. Miles Simmons is our guest. Great job all year long with us on all of our platforms, especially here. So what's going to happen in Arizona? I think you agree with me. If they go advance Joseph, that's not a winning situation for him to keep that job long term. And I don't like Kyler Murray's attitude as of late, and I liked him a lot coming out of Oklahoma. I think he could bring the whole organization down if he doesn't step up now in this vacuum. No J.J. Watt. 
the GM steps aside, the head coach gets fired. Kyler Murray's got to be front and center to turn this thing around. What coach do you think would be a good fit? Well, he does, but it's part of the problem, too, is that you just don't know what his health is going to be like going into next year. I mean, that knee injury is pretty serious. You're talking about the ACL. And then also, given the way that he functions as a quarterback, where running is such a big part of it, you know, you get hurt that late in the season, and then you have to get all the way back. It makes it tough to be available for the beginning of the year, right? I mean, I know Joe Burrow got hurt in November of, I guess it was 2020, and then came back for the beginning of the 2021 season. But again, Joe Burrow's legs are not necessarily as much a part of his game as you would see with Kyler Murray. It's the same sort of deal that you got with Lamar Jackson, where you know initially the reports were, well, it could be a few weeks, it could be this, it could be that. But Lamar Jackson's knee is extremely important to his game because of the way he runs the football. So I think that's something similar with Kyler Murray. But to really get to the question that you asked, the coach of that team is not going to be in a great spot for year one. Now, how patient does Michael Bidwell want to be? That's going to be really how you can answer that question then down the road is in terms of, well, what coach fits? I mean, Vance Joseph, unless you know that he's going to bring in somebody that can really coach the offense the way he wants to run it, and then you get maybe a bridge quarterback per se, you know, somebody that can come in and effectively run that offense. You can't have really high expectations for year one. So I would just like to see somebody that Bidwell is going to commit to. Now, I don't think that Bidwell is as trigger happy as somebody like the Texans, you know, where you're seeing one and done for two years in a row. You you doesn't have that history. But I just think that that's not necessarily the best situation given all of the things that are going to come with the 2023 season there with Arizona. Miles, last one with Aaron Rodgers. I don't think they're close. I don't think they have young receivers that are elite to develop now that Devontae Adams is gone. His contract is very expensive, but it's short term, and I think Green Bay would be open for a trade if someone took that contract off their hands, and on top of it, they got a lot in return. What happens to Aaron Rodgers? I'm not sure, and it's very complicated because I think he could be a distraction to the entire NFL this offseason if he doesn't want to go back. Where do you think he lands? Yeah, it is potentially a big distraction. I mean, I don't know if I'm another team that I really want that contract or that I want Aaron Rodgers if Aaron Rodgers is not going to be all in as he needs to be. And this is something that we talk about a lot on you know PFT, that when you look at what Patrick Mahomes did right in this offseason and he brought all the receivers with him to Texas and they were not just hanging out on the field, they were trying to get to know each other, build trust established chemistry off the field. That stuff started in April, right, in May. And then you look at Aaron Rodgers, and he was off doing what he wanted to do and didn't show up until he had to be there for mandatory minicamp. And that is his right, but I think it also made things a little bit more difficult for him to establish that chemistry and that trust and that rapport with his new receivers in the fall. And he didn't really get comfortable with those guys until the middle of the season. So, Look, Aaron Rodgers, when he's on his game, is still a really good quarterback. You know, he's another one of those guys that it's like, hey, he's top 15 in the league if he's on it. But when you look at the way he reacted at the end of that game on Sunday night, it's kind of like, man, this feels like somebody who is at least going to seriously contemplate walking away. Mm-hmm. And if he does that, then, I mean, at least he said he wasn't going to hold the Green Bay Packers hostage, right? He understands that he's got to make that decision within a certain timeline. Um, so we'll see what happens. And then, man, if it's Jordan Love's team, that's going to be really interesting to see. Mm-hmm. How does Matt LaFleur deal with that? 
Thanks, Miles. I'll talk to you soon or see you at the Super Bowl, and we'll talk then. Thanks for everything you do for us. Absolutely, JT. Take care. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk. Great insider. Developing more and more contacts. One of the people we want on the show who has good information. That was brought to you by our good friends at Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. Head on out to all their great restaurants. Get ready for the summer. All the activations that they're going to have at their award-winning pool. It's going to be a lot of fun. You'll find me at Virgin Hotels inside the theater whenever there's a great concert, and they have many great concerts. Boz is running the joint, and he's running it to a high standard, Virgin Hotels. JT, back with you as we continue. Thanks for joining us today. Jeff Sherman joins us from the Westgate, as he always does. And now, Jeff, we get a chance to look at NFL playoff odds, my bread and butter, what I love. And, uh, Jeff, I'm disappointed that Aaron Rodgers isn't in Santa Clara taking on the Niners. Walk me through what happened at the end of that game against Detroit and how it affected the market going forward with no Aaron Rodgers. The end of the game was wild, how aggressive the Lions were to that regard, and you know, we saw a lot of sharp play at the end leading up to the game on the Lions. And, you know, usually when these teams, have, even though they're eliminated and they have nothing to lose, they like to disrupt things. So you got a good effort out of the Lions and a different playoff picture now. So the number here, tell me where it opened and where you have it now. I see you have San Francisco minus 10, total 42.5 here on Seattle, man. That's a lot of points for the Seahawks to be getting in such a big game. Yeah, we opened San Francisco 10.5 got some respected play on the Seahawks, got as low as 9.5, and, and we had another sharp player play the Niners minus 9.5, so we've settled right in the middle at 10 right now. All right, let's move on to the Chargers in Jacksonville. As you handicap this number down, I saw the open across the board at uh, Chargers minus 2.5. You have it as a pick now here for Jacksonville. Jacksonville really humiliated them in that one game this year, but Herbert was hurt. Bosa wasn't at 100%. What changes coming into this one? Yeah, we opened the Chargers one and a half, and like you said, we're down to pick them. And I think a little bit has to do with uh, the surprising decision for the Chargers to play some of their players against Denver, and Mike Williams got hurt in that game. So, you know, his status might be in doubt this weekend. But, uh, you know, the Jaguars have been a public, uh, a team that's been supported by the Sharps all season, and they're doing it in this game too. You know, I look at Jacksonville, and they're playing with house money here in the Chargers. I think the coach's job is on the line. And, again, we're not going to know. So are you looking at the health of this Charger team? Uh, I know the public is looking for information on Bosa and Williams by midpoint to the end of this week. Do you think that could move off the pick Sure. Yeah, there's no doubt it can because especially when it's between the threes, you know, you have two-and-a-half to the two-and-a-half the other side. We're more fluid moving those numbers and more aggressive. So uh, there's going to be a lot of movement in that range, and it's probably not going to settle at pick. Jeff Sherman from the Westgate, VP of Risk Management. Okay, let's go to Buffalo. I find the Tua story fascinating. If he's completely clear and he's not concussed, we should all know. He should clear protocol. And then if they don't want to play him because they're scared, they don't want the PR hit if he gets hurt again, that's a different topic. I don't see them having a puncher's chance without him. Uh, With the line here, I think you have it as Buffalo minus Nine and a half. I think it's been as high as 10 at some other books here. And we're depending on Tua and what happens with the personnel of Miami coming into this game on the road in cold weather. 
Yeah, and we were just uh, Buffalo 11 just a few minutes ago, and we've been bet down to Buffalo 9.5, as you mentioned. Ooh. The total has also been bet up from 44.5 to 46.5, so that leads us to believe that there's information coming out that Tua might be leaning to, to being available. Interesting. That's good news from Jeff Sherman. That's why we always have him on. Uh, Giants played Minnesota. I thought they would played them better in that game. Minnesota squeaked it out. So it's another one of those rematch games. Two-part question. Here are the numbers at three. Minnesota minus three against the Giants. And how is it to handicap these teams when you see that they played earlier in the year? Easier or much harder at the end, considering the Giants rested their starters last game? Yeah, we reset this number, and basically we opened it uh, Vikings minus three, which was what it was the last time they played. Now, the Sharps bet that up to the Vikings minus four. As you alluded to, the Vikings won that game by three on a late field goal. And when they, your second part, when they play, played before and now reset to it, uh, it's usually easier for us, you know, since we have something to go by, especially involving the propositions. But we did open this Vikings minus three even. We've seen some sharp play again on Minnesota, so we're at minus three flat. And I don't know if the Sharps are quite done with it. I think they might play this game like they did in the preseason, and keep supporting Minnesota here. Jeff Sherman from the Westgate, VP of Risk Management, one of our frequent guests. Cincinnati-Baltimore with Lamar Jackson's status. Man, when he went down, I remember we initially spoke about how long he would be out, and he's been out as long as you could be out for that injury at that time. What are you sensing here as you have at Cincinnati minus 6.5 at home? Yeah, we were hesitant to open this 7, so we opened Cincinnati 6.5, leaning to him being back on the field since he has missed so much time and I know he hasn't practiced or anything, but you would expect him not to be 100%, but to be out there. So we thought it should be short of seven. And, you know, these two teams just played, and without him, we saw it close 11.5 last week. So we think that's right, just short of that. It looks like it might be going down further. I would be surprised if this got back up to seven. I'm fascinated how Dallas is at two and a half. Could it go to three? And just in general on the Cowboys and how they move the market, I know big bets move the market, big volume moves here, but there's a lot of Cowboy fans that love a 50 or a hundo on the Cowboys. And then you got Tom Brady on the other side here. I see you have a Dallas minus 2.5 on the road at Tampa Bay. Yeah, fascinating matchup to be the first playoff Monday night game and have all the parlays going from Saturday and Sunday to this one. We opened Dallas 3.5 at Tampa took some sharp play on Tampa plus three and a half and plus three. And that got us down to Dallas two and a half. And at this point, like you said, I think there's going to be a lot of public support just short of three, Mm -hmm. but the Sharps are definitely siding with Tampa here. All right. And then finally, let's go through some Super Bowl odds. Where do we stand with Kansas City after their win in Vegas? They fought for that. There could be a neutral side AFC championship game and the Eagles bringing Jalen Hurts back to get the bye week in the one seed in the NFC. Yeah, fascinating movement with uh, the shift in, in possible neutral playing, and uh, that that leads to Kansas City being a three to one favorite. Buffalo at seven to two, just because Kansas City does have that one seed, even though it could be neutral, so they get the buy. And then we have San Francisco nine to two, and the Eagles five to one. The Bengals are nine to one, and then everyone else is in double digits. Last one. What about that potential for a neutral side AFC championship game? Is that something you embrace, or is that more difficult for a handicapper try to figure out a neutral side? No, I think it'd be great. I mean, it'd be something different we can experience, and possibly in, in Vegas it'd be great if that was in the mix too. But, you know, it's easy from our power rating standpoint. We just adjust for that neutral, get a lineup, and, you know, I think it'd just be something different and almost re- reinvigorate even more 
than what the playoffs are. And what happened last night with Georgia in that blowout? I mean, you got to be sitting there with your staff watching this game after setting the number, the total, and seeing what's happening there as TCU had no answers for Georgia. Yeah, the tough part about a game like that is dealing the end play because everybody wants to just keep supporting Georgia no matter what number you put up, and it just gets higher and higher, and winning by a margin like that usually isn't good for the house. And we lost on that aspect, but pregame we did see some support, some support for TCU, TCU money line. A lot of support here at the Westgate on the over, even though the number came crashing down. But favorite and over on a game like that on that stage is usually not too good for the house. Playoffs are here. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Talk to you next week. Okay, thanks, JT. That's Jeff Sherman. Really appreciate his time. He's got a big job, VP of Risk Management over at the Westgate. We went through every game on how to bet. I think the intriguing game is Dallas as a road favorite. Uh, Bobby, you're a long-term, you're a long-time New England fan, and as you always said, whenever you get money with Brady, you got to take Brady. Whenever you get Brady getting points and you're getting it at home, do you got a 50 or a hundo for that? A lot of people do. When they're having a beverage at a sports book, they see Brady getting points. They go, excuse me, I'll be right back. Here's a 20, 50, or 100. I'll enjoy the game that way. These, these numbers are fascinating. Man, that hour, we had some issues, but we're good now. We're all good. We're all good here. See, Bobby, I knew I shouldn't have done the show from home today. That was a good idea to come in studio today. I was at the Raider facility. We boxed up and did Raiders Roundtable, which we're really happy about, and we'll be broadcasting the podcast from the Super Bowl. Hour number two coming up, Howard Balzer, the Hall of Fame voter. Your phone calls at 702-365-9200, brought to you by Modelo.